We're going to look at Luke chapter 14, verses 1 through 11. All right, take a deep breath. All right, here's what it says. One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. Now he told a parable to those who were present or invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, Give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when, when your host comes, he may say to you, Friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning once again to just ask for your for your Holy Spirit to move in us as we listen to Pastor Brian's uh, words to us, as we listen to your word, and we pray for an open heart, an open mind as we listen to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Ting. Luke chapter 14. It's an interesting scene. I think anytime Jesus is with this group of religious leaders, we ought to take a moment and appreciate some of the dynamics of what's happening in that moment. Jesus is invited to dinner, but it's the Sabbath. So it's a special day. No one's working. This group of religious leaders would have kept very strict rules on that Sabbath day. And they're all getting together. I, I would... Imagine where my translation says that, that it was a ruler among the Pharisees. Other translations might say that this was a high-ranking official among the Pharisees. But whoever was hosting dinner, it's clear through the text that this person was up there in the religious hierarchy. So in that community, in that, in that area, I'm guessing anyone who is anyone within the clergy and within the priestly uh, realm is there at this meal. And the whole meal is a little bit of a setup. Jesus's invitation is not given with a good heart or good intention. In fact, Luke says that they invite Jesus to this meal and they're watching him very closely because it's the Sabbath and there's a lot of rules. And Jesus, if he breaks one of the Sabbath rules, then these religious leaders will have charges that they can bring up against him. And so they invite him into the room and they watch him very closely. And then I don't know for sure that they set up having a man who was very ill being there in the room. I don't know that for sure, but it kind of feels like that could have been the case. Hey, we're going to invite all these people over to my house and let's invite Jesus. And you know, the gentleman down the street that has a terminal illness, let's bring him in too and see how Jesus handles that. 
The text says that the, the man has uh, dropsy. And that's an interesting word. That's not a word that I often hear that much. I, I didn't know if maybe that was uh, the eighth dwarf or if that meant you didn't want to hand him all the, all the fine china. But it means something very serious. That he would have been very swollen. His cav chest cavity and body would have been filled with fluids. And it's a condition that happens uh, when organ failure is occurring. So picture this with me. All sorts of religious leaders gathered together for a meal on the most holy day of the week. Rather than worship and have community, they invite Jesus to watch him closely to see if he'll trip up. And there just so happens to be this terminally ill man there. And no one seems very concerned about the man who is ill. In fact, Jesus looks at them and he notices two things. One is no one has any concern for this man who is very sick. And two, they have high concern for where they're seated around the table. That's what they care about. I don't know exactly how it worked in that day, but it's clear from the text that the host would have one seat and then how people were seated around the table and with that host in relation to the host, it, it signified their rank and their importance. And they were very concerned with making sure they got the seating chart right for the meal on the Sabbath, but hardly anyone was concerned about this man with dropsy. In fact, the only reason they're concerned is to see if Jesus will slip up and work on the Sabbath. And Jesus reads the room and he looks at the Pharisees and he looks at this man and he says, is it unlawful to heal someone on the Sabbath? Because if he just heals this man, they've got him. He worked on the Sabbath. But Jesus starts with the question, is it unlawful to heal on the Sabbath? Jesus doesn't so much care about the answer to that, but what we see happening here is the same thing we've seen over the last few weeks in this sermon series where we're walking through the parables that Jesus tells in the gospel of Luke. And parables being stories and illustrations that tell us what the kingdom of God is like. They're not, they're not stories and illustrations that give us life hacks on how to live. There's stories and illustrations that tell us what it looks like when you follow God with your life and when you, when you live in and through Jesus Christ and when the kingdom of God is being built. What does that look like? That's what a parable is. And in all of these cases that we've been looking at the last couple of weeks in this one, Jesus, he asks, gets asked or asks questions regarding the religious law and understandings. But we find that Jesus, he doesn't so much care necessarily about the answers as much as he cares about the hearts of the people who are in front of him. He knows he's asking them an impossible question. Because if they say, uh, yes, it is unlawful to heal on the Sabbath. Well, there's no technical law in the Old Testament making it illegal to heal on the Sabbath. So perhaps they would, they would have to uh, twist the law a little bit to make that work. And if they say no, then they basically stamp approval on Jesus's next move. So they say nothing. Luke tells us they remain silent. And Jesus, 
heals the man of this disease and sends him away. And he begins to reveal in that room something that I think happens to all of us. And that is when we live our lives concerned about our position. And we all do this, don't we? None of us want to let anyone around us know that we keep score, but all of us keep score in different ways. And when you worry and spend your life worrying about your position, you put yourself in a place where you often end up missing your purpose. And that's exactly what was happening with these religious leaders, that they were worried about their positioning, about who they were in relation to Jesus, who they were in relation to the host of this event, who they were in relation to this, to this man that, that no one could have cared about, even though it's the most holy of days and he's horribly ill. And they missed their whole purpose of gathering together, being the people of God. And Jesus says, here we are in this gathering. And when you gather in this way, you lose your sense of purpose. But which one of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into the well on the Sabbath day, would not immediately pull him out? How can you possibly think we shouldn't help this man? If you were on your own and not in this gathering and your son or an ox fell into a well, you would pull them out, right? And you're saying to yourself, well, I definitely get the ox out, but my son, I might let him sit there and think about what he did for a day, right? <laughs> but yeah, of course you would rescue them. And this is your purpose, Jesus is saying. And I think it's easy to look at the religious leaders and say, yeah, why would they do that? Why would they lose focus like that? But it's so easy for us to do it too, isn't it? There's this story about Steve Jobs that's in a number of the books about Apple and uh, has been represented in a couple of movies about his life and in Apple. And it goes that early on uh, when Apple was a company, they finally got to the point that they had enough employees where, where uh, no one could know everybody in the company. So they decided to do what many companies still do. And that was just assign employee numbers to everybody. And Gene Wozniak uh, was given the number by the current, the, by the CEO at that time, he was given the number one for being the first employee of Apple. And Steve Jobs was given the number two. And Steve Jobs was furious about this because he did not want to be number two to anybody. And so he went back to the board and to, to Gene Wozniak and he said, I'm not going to take employee number two, but I'll take employee number zero because zero comes before one. And they gave it to him just to appease him. And he was so worried about his positioning in that moment that actually he ended up damaging so many relationships that his time at Apple ended. He was fired from Apple not too long after that. And spoiler alert, he came back later and it ended up really, really going well. But back then when he was worried about his position, it was a little bit different. You ever been to a, a wedding and you're just wondering what table number you're going to get? Do you ever wonder about that? 
Because you're saying to yourself, I wonder exactly how you know, close they think we are. I think we're this close, but I wonder how close they think we are. Like, I think we're table number 12 close. I know I'm not head table material. I know I'm not family table material, but I bet I'm somewhere in that like 10 to 14 range. They're going to have like 25 tables. And then you go to the table and you pick up your name tag and you look at it and you're like, number 23. Like, you have to be kidding me, right? That can happen so easily in something like a wedding. In fact, Lori and I, uh, we stopped and got pizza last night with our kids. We were out running some errands and we went and got pizza and there was this couple next to us and they were talking back and forth about a family wedding that was coming up. And the husband said to the wife, he said, I know our daughter is going to be in the wedding party. And do you think all the other cousins are going to look at that and say, why her and not us? And all those sorts of dynamics happen uh, it, when, when weddings happen and there's a seating chart. But you know what can happen is we get so worried about our positioning. We lose the whole purpose of why we're there. I was uh, at a historic church in Woburn Center not too long ago getting a tour. The church was established in the 1600s and the building was built in the 1800s. And on the back of the sanctuary, the sanctuary sits like 1,200 people. And on the back of the sanctuary wall, there is a, a original piece of paper that's in a frame. And the piece of paper had all the names of the different people who bought their boxes and paid for their seats within the church. I mean, the way it used to work, and if you've taken the tour of the, the, old, the North Church downtown or some of the older churches in Boston, you see this, that the boxes, the pews were numbered. And based on the amount of money that you could pay the church each year, that was your box positioning. And at this particular church, there, all the side pews had no numbers because that was for the commoners who couldn't afford their seats. So every time this congregation would gather, it would be very clear to everyone who was in the room who was most valuable, who had money, who had high-ranking position, who didn't, and who really was on the outskirts. Now, of course, we don't do that today in church, right? We don't, we don't gather in church and all have our places that we normally sit and get frustrated when someone's in our seats. We don't have our place where we normally park and get frustrated by the fact that someone else takes our parking spot that we always get. We would never come together and worry about who's talking to who and who's in whose small group and why they change the color of the walls. We would never get together and worry about why those kids are talking to those kids and our kids aren't talking to those kids. We would never get together and do that today. But if we would do that and when we do that, it's so easy to lose our purpose as the church. And we're here to love God and to love others. And we get all consumed with positioning. Who's more important and who's related to who? Who's been here longer? And when that happens, we run the risk of losing our, our purpose. And so the question then for these religious leaders, and I, I love this moment where Jesus heals this man and, and uh, there's this dramatic moment. He heals him and he sends him away. And then he looks at the Pharisees. They're all seated around the table, fuming. And Jesus says something like the equivalent of, why are you all sitting like this? This is ridiculous. And here they've put so much energy and effort into getting all the right seats in place. And Jesus takes one look at them, this guest that they don't even want there. He says, you guys are, are wasting your time with all these little things that don't matter. 
question is, how do we maintain our purpose? And I think there's two things that come out of what Jesus says to them. He gives them this illustration of going to a wedding feast and finding your seat. And I guess back then they could pick their seat at a wedding feast because he says, take the worst chair and let the host call you up. Don't take the best chair and be asked to go to the back of the room. And when I say wedding feast, of course I can't help but think and just pause for a moment and say congratulations to Scott and Catherine right there who got married last week. Who say thank you. I don't know if you have this issue at your wedding with all the seating charts and people jockeying for a position, but uh, married last Monday? Last Monday in Canada, right? Does it still count? It still counts. All right, good. Good. Yeah. Well, congratulations. It's great to see you. And he gives this wedding illustration and he says, when you go to a wedding, don't, you know, put yourself in the back, be humble in that situation. He says, for whoever is exalts themselves will be humbled, but whoever is humbles himself will be exalted. Now, the question is whether or not Jesus is giving us a real party hack here. And I don't think that's what he's doing. I don't think he's giving us a life hack because I can tell you that you're, if you go to parties and you sit in the worst seat, or if every time you go to an arena, you take the, the worst seat that you can find, you're going to end up very disappointed when no one invites you forward, right? That's not what Jesus is doing. Jesus is not saying, hey, here's a little trick to get the best seat next time. He's talking about our positioning and our perspective in relationship to God and eternity. If you want to know your position in the kingdom of God, what you need is not to compare yourself to the people around you. What you need is not to compare yourself to the people sitting in these seats. What you need is a proper perspective of God himself. The only way you and I can know our position is to have a proper perspective of God because a proper perspective of God will reveal your position in the kingdom of God. And the Pharisees, when they looked around the room, all they did was compare themselves to one another. And all they did was compare themselves to this man who was sick. And all they did was compare themselves to Jesus who they really didn't like. And they thought in their heads, we're better than him. We're better than him. I'm better than him, 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 him. He's better than me. I've got it. And Jesus is saying, you're comparing yourself to the wrong thing. It is God to whom you should compare yourself. And the thing that happens with God is the further I'm away from God, the smaller God looks and the easier it is to, to increase my own importance in the kingdom of God. It's like those pictures that people take on vacation where the perspective is off. People love to take those at the leaning tower of Pisa. If you stand far enough away, from the leaning tower of Pisa, you can make it look like all sorts of things. And the further you stand away from God, the easier it is to, to think that he's very small in relationship to us. But as I get closer and I understand who I am as someone who is a lost sinner, and I understand who God is as the creator of the universe, who loves me enough to send his son to die on the cross for my sin and be raised again, that I might have relationship with him, not only him and now, but for all eternity. When I understand the grace and the mercy and the blessing that I have because of who he is, all of a sudden I realize that my position next to God is way lower than I ever imagined it could have been. 
And it's a really interesting thing that happens in people's lives. That the further they are from God, the closer the seed is they deserve. They think they deserve. But the closer we get to God, the more that we recognize when we walk in the room and God's presence is there, we can see that and we can feel it. And we say to ourselves, don't worry, I know where my seat is back here. You don't have to tell me. And the irony of the fact is the Pharisees had God's presence in the room in Jesus Christ. And they thought they were better than him. If you know about the life of the apostle Paul, you can see this happen so clearly in his life. The apostle Paul who wrote over half the new Testament and planted many of the first churches in the first century. He was one of these Pharisees, a religious leader. Thought he was better than Jesus, thought he was better than the Christians. In fact, killed many Christians and persecuted them. And in the book of Philippians, the letter he wrote from jail to the church in Philippi, he says this, he says, if anyone else thinks he has reasons for confidence in the flesh, what he means is if you think uh, you have, uh, you know, earthly things that can hold you in high esteem, I have more than you. This is who I was. I was circumcised on the eighth day into that Jewish rite of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul says, you want to know who I was uh, back, in, back before I met Jesus Christ? I was the perfect religious leader. I was the one who did everything right. I was the one who held myself and other people held me in high esteem. I was a staunch defender of the faith. And if God was in the room and he was seated at the front table, I deserved one of the seats right up next to him. But then Paul meets Jesus and begins to see God more clearly. And he writes a letter to a young man named Timothy. And in that letter, he says, Timothy, here's a trustworthy saying, deserving of full acceptance, that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of who I am the foremost, or your translation might say, of whom I am the worst. That perspective change of Paul saying, I'm the perfect religious example. To saying of all sinners in the world, I'm the worst. And that perspective changed that if Jesus was in the room, Paul would have said, listen, I deserve a, a seat ahead of you in that moment. And now having met Jesus and in relationship with him, Paul says, I've got it, Jesus, I'll be over here. And if you and your grace and your mercy so see it that you would call me out of this chair to sit next to you, I will be so grateful and humbled. But until then, I know my spot. And a proper perspective of God reveals our position, but a proper perspective of God also reveals our purpose. Jesus says, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And we might hear a phrase like that and wonder to ourselves, is that really true? Because if you look globally, especially... But even if you look in our own neighborhoods and even sometimes in our own households, there are some humble, humble people that just get the short end of the stick over and over and over again. They're not exalted. And you can think of people who lived very humble lives and 
passed away before anything exciting or anything grand could happen to them. And you've wondered to yourself, why do bad things seem to happen to such good people? But Jesus here isn't talking about this life. He's talking about the next. He's talking about the kingdom of God. Anytime he's speaking in parables, he's talking about not just our relationship with God here and now, but our relationship with God in all eternity. And Jesus is saying, when you understand your positioning, now you can lean into your purpose, which is to live a humble life before the Lord and before others. And trusting that even if you don't get your reward here and now, it is coming. I think this question of what it looks like to live in proper position to God and in proper purpose and loving the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving our neighbor as ourselves, with Jesus affirms, as we saw a couple of weeks ago, is the greatest commandments in all of Scripture. So really, it's a question that we have to wrestle with as Christians. Sometimes as Christians, we get so worried about who's ahead of us and who's behind us and who's winning. that We miss our opportunity to live the life that God calls us to live. I guess as everyone in the room is aware of the decision of the Supreme Court this week. And I think as Christians, we ought to ask ourselves, how do we handle it well? Because it's very easy sometimes to say, okay, you were winning and we were behind. And now I feel like I'm winning and now you're behind. But I think God calls us to something more than that. I can't imagine taking a text like this and, and, and seeing how God, how Jesus lived his ministry out in people that, that he would tell us it's about, it's about winning and losing. There has to be a more nuanced approach to it. I actually really appreciated the statement that Cardinal Sean O'Malley released from the Archbi uh, Archdiocese of Boston. And he said this, this is one paragraph in that, in that statement. He said, I welcome the court's decision, but I do not underestimate how profoundly divisive the issue of abortion has been and will continue to be in our public life. Even more tragic has been the personal suffering of women facing unplanned pregnancies in difficult situations. The church has constantly, consistently opposed the moral and legal dimensions of Roe v. Wade. We also adamantly reject stigmatizing, criminalizing, judging, or shaming women who have had abortions or who are considering them. Too often isolated and desperate women have felt they had no other choice. They need and deserve spiritual, emotional, and material support from the church and from society. I think we need to wrestle with this as Christians. I think that, that Cardinal Sean O'Malley there captured something that, that I feel around decisions like this, that while I, I yes, am, am 
pleased that, that the practice of abortion would slow down in our nation, I have to ask myself, am I ready as a follower of Jesus Christ to show love in our world the way love needs to be shown to people who are in desperate and hopeless situations, to people who find themselves needing to care for a child and to be cared for? Am I willing as a Christian to go after whatever exists in our society that would put people at a disadvantage to being able to raise children and have children and understand what it is to be a family? Because it's one thing to just win or lose. It's another thing to live out the purpose as the body of Christ. Lori and I are, are very close to being uh, an uncle and aunt to two more boys. Uh, we, have, we have a few nieces and nephews. And my sister and my brother-in-law, he's a pastor in Des Moines, Iowa. They are just weeks away from adopting two brothers into their family. So they have two children of their own. And now they're going to adopt two boys, brothers. And they've been working with them for years. It's been a very complicated, expensive process. And it's a beautiful thing. And we're so excited for them. It's very close. Like all the paperwork's done for one. We're waiting for paperwork for the other one. And then we'll have two more children, a part of our extended family. My brother and sister-in-law will go, or my sister and brother-in-law will go from having two children to having four children overnight. So you can pray for them. But their, their whole family, that whole process that they've been a part of for years of saying, okay, now there's, there's children that, that are not being taken care of properly. So we as Christians living out our purpose, we will do this. I have to look myself in the mirror and saying, am I willing to be a part of that? If those numbers increase, am I willing to do what God would call me to do to love those children and love those people that are walking through it? Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not arguing that we should rethink the decision. But I do think that Christians, that Christians need to take this seriously. And not just tally a victory mark and move on to the next thing. Many of you, you saw, uh, if you've been with our church for a while, you saw Nigel Lee up here playing the keyboard today. And that's the first time that Nigel's played with our with our worship team. And that might've been interesting to you if you've been of our, part of our church for a while, because last year, Nigel was serving on our elder board and we came to the church and we said, because of some of the things that are going on in Nigel's life behind the scenes, uh, it's, we agree as the board and Nigel and Lifong that he needs to step back from ministry for a little while. And throughout the months, you haven't seen it necessarily, but People have been walking together, women walking with Lifong, men walking with Nigel. And now we're at a point where together as the leadership of the church, we would say, hey, it's time to, time to come back into ministry roles. And it's so easy to look at things like that and to say, yeah, his seat was up here. He was on the elder board and then we bumped him down here. But now, hey, he's moving his seat back up. Good for him. But that's not what we're doing. This is the purpose to which we are called. 
to encourage one another in the faith. And when someone needs rest, to give them rest. And when someone needs a break, to give them a break. And to walk with one another and work with one another and be the family of God walking through this life. This is the whole purpose of why we exist. It's not about ranking people or who exists where or what chair they sit in. It's about us being the body of Christ and showing the love to God and love to one another and love to our community that he calls us to do. So church, this morning I ask you, instead of worrying so much about who's ahead of you, show God's love to the person in front of you. Instead of worrying so much about if we're winning or losing, who's ahead and who's behind, who ranks higher than you and who's lower than you, Let's show God's love to the people right in front of us. Live out the purpose that he's called us to. You know, Chick-fil-A, the, the restaurant, and I'll invite our worship team to go ahead and come back forward as we close this morning. Chick-fil-A, they're famously closed on Sundays. Right? You may know about that because you tried to go on a Sunday and it wasn't open, or maybe you listened to Kanye West and you heard about it. But Chick fil A is very famously uh, closed on Sundays. In December of 2017, at the Atlanta airport on a Sunday, there was a blackout that stranded thousands of passengers. You know, that, that airport in Atlanta is, is very famously an extremely busy airport, a huge hub for some airlines. And so this blackout stranded thousands of people and the airport couldn't figure out what they were going to do in order to take care of everyone. And then all of a sudden, a tweet went out from the airport to all the passengers who were there. They were trying to get the message out that Chick-fil-A was coming in to open up their restaurant and they were going to feed for free every single passenger stranded in Atlanta because their rule is they don't open on Sundays and they allow rest. But the reality was there were people in front of them that needed to eat and needed to be shown loved. And so they went ahead and opened up and did that because that's their purpose. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Jesus Christ came to save sinners of whom I am the worst. You are too. That's our position. But because of his grace and his mercy, as we come and we ask for his forgiveness, he says, come on up. Come sit here with me. Can be a part of my kingdom. And how we go out and live that out among each other and into this world is so important. It's not really about who's winning or losing. It's about who's loving the way that God calls us to love. Who's living out the gospel the way that Jesus calls us to live it out. And so let's be the kind of people that worry a lot less about who's ahead of us and a lot more about loving the way God loves. God, there's all sorts of situations in our lives. I know for myself personally, where I have fallen victim to worrying more about rankings and where things stand and who's ahead of who and who's winning what, that I have missed out on the opportunity to live out the truth of your word. God, help us to do that well. 
Would you be honored and glorified by the way that we live out the gospel, the way that we live out the truth? Help us to do it today as we interact with people on the street, as we turn on the news and hear someone vehemently oppose our stance or belief on something. Help us to have kind and loving hearts. Help us to show the kind of love that you've shown to us. I pray in Jesus' name.